Hello everyone, I, my name is Ruth Curry and I'm here today with my guest and future co-host Molly Park and you are here listening to Ruth and Molly Unclouded. Hey guys, so we're here today to talk about being young adult Asian Canadian woman and our experiences growing up. We want to be transparent with you guys and we were hoping some of you feel the same. We also want to say a disclaimer, these are just our experiences growing up and our perspectives, um, so take everything that we say with a grain of salt. Don't don't take offense <laughs> to anything if you disagree with us. That's totally valid. Yeah. Um. So in today's episode, we're gonna be touching on a little bit of everything surrounding our experiences, and we want you guys to get to know us. So, Molly, why don't you take it away and let the listeners know a little bit about you? Hey everyone. I'm my name's Molly. Uh, my pronouns are she/her. Uh, I'm a fourth year undergraduate student doing honors in math, and I am an Asian Canadian. Hi guys, it's Ruth. So I, my pronouns are also she, her, and I am also an Asian Canadian. Specifically, I'm half Filipino, half Canadian. And Molly? Oh, I'm adopted from China. And so my major is a major in fine arts, and I'm not minoring anything. And the reason I wanted to make this podcast and like why I wanted Molly on this podcast is we've kind of had different experiences growing up as Asian Canadian women, but... At the same time, we've noticed a lot of similarities and recently started having conversations about it. So we just wanted to share that with you guys. Okay, so I wanted you guys to get a ba- some background information on us. So I just wanted to explain that Molly and I are childhood friends and we have been since grade two, even though she's admitted to me that she doesn't remember <laughs> meeting me. We've been friends for a very long time. But to be honest, I don't remember meeting her either. But for some okay. reason... The two Asian girls found each other. We did, honestly. (laughs) So, I guess we can get into explaining, like, small summaries of our stories. Do you want to get into that? Sure. Okay, so, basically, grew up in Nova Scotia my whole life. I know you grew up in New Brunswick, first of all, but Mm -hmm. we met in Nova Scotia. Anyway, so I've grown up in Nova Scotia my whole life. Um, My mom immigrated to Canada, um... I'm not really sure what year, to be honest, but she immigrated to Canada from the Philippines and Singapore. She lived back and forth, and she uh, came for school, university specifically, and went to Acadia, which is our local university here. So I just wanted to give the definition of immigrant, just in case some of the viewers or listeners don't really know. So... Um, The definition is one that immigrates, such as a person who comes to a country, to take up permanent residence. So that's what my mom did, I guess, was to take up permanent (laughs) residency here. And she ended up meeting my dad um, at Acadia, fell in love, had me, and she's lived here ever since. And she hasn't actually um, been back home, and I've never visited the Philippines either. So that's kind of the gist on how I'm Asian and why I'm still here in Canada. (laughs) Honestly. Okay, what about you, Molly? (laughs) How I'm Asian. Okay, so my story is a little bit different. As I mentioned earlier, I'm adopted. Um, So when I was about the age of two, my parents, um, who are both Canadian, adopted me from Wuhan in China, (laughs) brought me to New Brunswick uh, in Canada, uh, specifically Florenceville. If anyone knows where that is, it's very small. Um, and then when I was about grade one, uh, we moved here to uh, Annapolis Valley, Nova Scotia, where I met Ruth in grade two. Yes, that's <laughs> very important. <laughs> yeah, and the reason 
um, that my parents adopted me is because at the time China had the one child policy. Um, I don't know if many people are familiar with that is, but the one child policy was basically where um, China was very overpopulated with people. So in order to keep the population down, they just they decided to come out with this law that said if you only had one child, there would be a lot more benefits to you and your family. Um, I feel like you have more information on yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> so like the one-child policy, um, the official program was initiated in the late 1970s and the early 80s by the central government of China, um, and the, pers- the purpose was to limit the great majority of family units in the country. So you basically said that. So mm-hmm. they limited to one child each. So the rationale for implementing the policy was to reduce the growth of China's <laughs> of China's population. Sorry, <laughs> and it was announced in the late in late 2015 that the program was to end in early 2016. So it's been around for quite a while. Oh yeah, I do want to know because the reason is because when they put it in, a lot of uh, Asian families they find it's more uh, I don't want to say important. But if you have a male um, mm-hmm. child, then that means that they can either take on the business that their parents did or take on more responsibilities because they are seen as more of like the wealth owners of the family. So a lot of um, Asian parents want to have uh, males, so they want to have sons. That's why a lot of females are adopted. Mm-hmm. Um, but then what happened is that there were a lot of kit, like there was a lot of males and not a lot of females, so there wasn't a lot of people that could actually have families. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this makes any sense. No, it does. So, like, I have some notes on, like, the repercussions, basically. So, like, in China, the fertility rate and the birth rate both decreased after the 18, or 1980s, and the Chinese government estimated that 400 million births had been prevented because sons were generally favored, like you said. So mm-hmm. you're right about that, obviously. <laughs> so they were favored over daughters, and then, like, the sex ratio in China became skewed towards men, and then there was a rise in the number of abortions of female fetuses. So along with the increase in the number of female babies that were killed or placed in orphanages... Um, like me like Molly but we know each other now (laughs) so even after the one child policy China's birth and fertility rates still remain low and I think they still do today like it's balancing out again Mm -hmm. but like obviously since 2016 it still hasn't been that long so um, leaving the country with a population that was aging too rapidly and shrinking the workforce apparently that's why I'm here today (laughs) but you have a good life Great. Great life. (laughs) So I just wanted to also add on, like I found some statistics from Statistics Canada. So it says a lot of children born in Canada, um, going back to like immigration, um, at least one foreign born parent, so second generation in Canada, were most likely to live in a multi-generational household. So in 2016, 18.2% of the children born in Canada um, to two foreign-born parents, and 9.5% of Canadian-born children with one foreign-born parent were living in multi-general, multi-generational households. So almost half of the children with an immigrant background were actually from an Asian country of ancestry, while less than one quarter were from a European country of ancestry or the United States. I just wanted to bring that up because I'm in a multi... Like, my because my mom's an immigrant... I, there are, like, a lot of generational effects that come with my mom being an immigrant, but also I know, like, Molly has a multi, not multi-generational 
home, but you have like a mixed race. Home. Yeah, we have a multicultural home. A multicultural. Home. Yeah, not yeah. only am I adopted, but also I have an older sister um who's a couple years older than me she was also adopted from china and so is my little sister who is um a few years younger than me as well yeah so i don't know if you wanted to talk on that or not but you guys are from different areas in china too yeah that is a very common question actually that my sisters and i get is if we are all one all blood related and if we were all adopted at the same time which mm-hmm. uh no so my <laughs> so, <laughs> so no <laughs> so my um my parents went three separate times to china to adopt my me and my two sisters and we we're all from different areas in china mm-hmm. which is really cool and you guys got to visit yeah which is nice. yeah so the summer after grade five i think it was five or six we went and visited China. Um, very big culture shock. Yeah, really I can imagine. Big. And we actually, what was really cool is that my older sister and I were from orphanages. So we got to go and visit them, which was really cool. And they actually had documents. Um, they still had documents about us when they found us. I didn't even us. know that. Yeah. So, like, they had things about how old I was, like, what weight they thought I was, what kind of dietary things I had. <laughs> like, I'm... Lactose. I'm... <laughs> I'm allergic to uh, shellfish, and that's mm. actually something that they told my parents when they adopted me. Oh, I wonder how they found that out. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Scary. So, was Lily not in the, from an orphanage? No, she was She was mainly in a foster home, um, oh, which is actually, yeah, it's actually kind of sad because they said that when my parents went to go and adopt her, the foster parents weren't even there because I think they were too sad to see her go. Oh, no. Yeah. It's really nice that you guys still had documents on each other, though. Yeah, it was really cool. Like, the people at the orphanage had to translate them for us. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really neat experience to have, though. Yeah, I mean, I found out what my middle name meant. Apparently, it's Fuan, if anyone's wondering, F-U-A-N. Apparently, it's not even a name. It's just two words together. (laughs) Um, and it means happy and peace. So were you named by your biological parents or through the orphanage? Or do you're not sure? Through the orphanage. They usually gave kids names. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah. So did people remember you when you visited? Or were they completely different people working there? I actually don't remember. That'd be I really f- interesting to know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I meant to say, yeah, it's really cool because um, me and my sisters, we all have um like Chinese names I guess that we were given and my parents decided to keep it as a middle name for us which is really cool Mm -hmm. that's like I like that you still have a part of your culture like yeah you have an English name I guess technically but you still have your traditional name Mm -hmm. a part of your name although it makes a lot of issues sometimes because my parents wouldn't put both my middle names on documents Oh, interesting. <laughs> so not your Chinese name. Yeah, one time I was go- trying to go on the airplane and my di- there was a different name on my passport because my passport. Oh, no. <laughs> and then the ticket. One of them had both my middle names and one of them didn't. And they almost didn't let me on, but I think they were like, oh, it's not worth it. It's not worth <laughs> Just it. Just girl on the plane. Oh, my gosh. I guess we can, like, kind of get into the identity topic. So, like, when you when like did you have an identity crisis or like before then did you question being asian being like growing up in a white household like when i wait when i went to china or like growing up in a white household 
like, did you going to China, like, kind of spark anything to know more about who you are? Or were you, like, I, you didn't think twice about it, like, growing up with white Uh, parents? It was, okay, going to China specifically was very interesting because, for once, everyone looked like me and my sisters. Yes. But then, yet, (laughs) not. It's so weird. Like The disconnect. Yeah, like, we looked physically the same, but yet different like the clothing was different Mm. so many like the hairstyle was different a lot of people had dyed hair which is really interesting in china yeah a lot of people like red hair oh interesting (laughs) i wouldn't have expected that but yeah so it was really weird because like for once it actually felt like people looked like us but then yet we felt different still like we wore north american clothes when we were there Mm -hmm. i think it was really obvious that we were tourists you only spoke english yeah same I only Mm -hmm. speak English as well. So, Mm -hmm. like, my mom never taught me my language or her language being Tagalog. So, I'm going to define the word identity. I feel like everyone knows what it is. But it's just who or what somebody slash something is. Um, But I find the word identity for Molly and I are both iffy subjects. (laughs) Like, I just recently have been, like, kind of okay with identifying, like, as a Filipino Canadian because I'm like, well, I'm Canadian and I like act Canadian. I'm very North American. Yeah. Um, but do I know really anything about the Filipino side of my family? No. But I'm Filipino. Yeah. So it's just kind of confusing because it's just like I can pass as white the majority of the time, but also I don't look fully white also. So it's like, oh you're something. Yeah. But what are you? Yeah. So, I don't know. I guess we can get into the word identity crisis if you want to. Yeah, because I feel like it's so interesting because, like, there's that's the an interesting difference between Ruth and I is mm-hmm. that, like, she's mixed, so people don't really know specifically what she is, whereas yeah. they look at me and they know, oh, she's Asian. Asian. They <laughs> might not know what Asian, but they're like, oh, she's Asian. Yeah. But then yet, it's weird because either they don't, like, they think I'm an international student or (laughs) okay yeah so I feel like I'm perceived as she's something we think she might be Asian she might be Middle Eastern (laughs) maybe she's like indigenous like my mom gets that a lot but no one can really pinpoint it but you know you're not white yeah so I feel like we we both get the question where are you from Mm -hmm. no it's like it's like this it goes where are you from and then you say, like, where you are. And I'm then from like, Nova Scotia, yeah. Canada. <laughs> and then they say, but where are you really from? That's that's the question. Or some, some variety of that. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I'm going to define identity crisis for people who haven't figured it out already. But I guess it's called a period of uncertainty and confusion in which a person's sense of identity becomes insecure, <laughs> typically due to a change in their expected aims or roles in society. I think my uncertain period of time was like the majority of my childhood. I don't even think mine stopped. Yeah, we're still definitely working through it. I think I've been working through it a lot more recently with my art. Mm-hmm. But, like, having conversations with Molly has, like, also really helped. Because we didn't used to talk about this at oh, all. Oh, I don't think we ever talked about it. We were just, like, we're friends in elementary school. We're friends middle school, high school, whatever. And it just never got brought up. Yeah. I feel like I wanted to get more into my culture when I got to university. Mm-hmm. Because in high school, it was just kind of like, 
whatever, I'm this, but, like, no one's asking about it. I'm not really thinking about it. Then I got to university, which is still predominantly white. (laughs) But I was like, oh, there are, like, other, like, Filipinas. There are other Asian people who, like, know so much about their life. And I'm like, I know nothing. Like, my mom doesn't know a lot because of how she... I don't know. She, like, basically assimilated when she came to Canada. Like, she was always taught, like, when you go to Canada, act Canadian. Yeah. And then my mom never went back home. So it was kind of, she wanted to fit in. Mm -hmm. So she probably had her own identity crisis. Yeah. She's like, oh, I can't be Filipino. I need to be Canadian to be accepted. So then in her doing that, she, like, didn't teach me the language. She didn't really teach me about our culture other than like some food which is delicious by the way <laughs> so good pun sit one of molly's favorites it's oh a filipino noodle dish anyway mm-hmm. but like at times i guess my mom was assimilated into canadian culture mm-hmm. so now i feel like i'm dealing with how do i not assimilate filipino culture because i feel like i'm so ingrained in white culture yeah yeah i definitely like can feel that on a level as well yeah whereas like because my parents are both like Canadian so part of me is kind of wishing that they had introduced me more to my culture mm-hmm. and Chinese culture but then also it's not something that they know it's not something that they're familiar with themselves yeah and they definitely did try when I was younger <laughs> but I also went through a whole crisis where I did not want to be Asian I wanted to fit in like everyone else in my school mm-hmm. everyone else in my classes um so they I remember in probably grade one or two, they asked me if I wanted to take Mandarin classes, which is something I really wish I'd done. But I remember thinking, no, like, why would I need to? Like, I'm Canadian. I speak English. I feel like you were feeling how my mom felt. Yeah. Because, like, people are like, why didn't you teach Ruth the language? And, like, me now, I'm like, why didn't I learn? Mm -hmm. But it was because she was like, oh, I need to be Canadian. I'm not going to teach my daughter to yeah. Galog, she's not going to use it. But yeah. now we're both like, I want to speak Mandarin and I want to speak yeah. to Galog. So it's really interesting. I don't know. I wish I knew the language. Yeah, like I really wish that I <laughs> I didn't when I was earlier, when I was yo- a lot younger and I was still learning. I feel like we were really naive. Yeah. We were like, oh, we just want to fit a box. Oh, yeah. With all I of our white definitely, other friends. I definitely, I think it's so true when people say, people who are so like who are different want to fit in so badly and Mm -hmm. people who like fit in want to like stand out like I remember because I asked my mom and I confronted my mom about it Mm -hmm. because I was like why didn't you teach me and she goes like I tried to say a few things around the house yeah and she goes but you said I was talking funny oh because I was little I was like probably younger than like eight or seven like Mm -hmm. probably yeah like quite young and so she was like well, Canadians think it's weird that I speak a different language and my own daughter thinks so too. But at the time, obviously, I'm six. Yeah. So I'm like, what's that noise? Like, yeah. what's mom saying? But I feel like now it's hard, it's hard to enter your own culture from being an outsider. Oh, 100%. And it's like, I want to, like, cling on. I want to find other people who can, like, let me in slowly, but with also not the judgment from that community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really... <laughs> Looking back on my younger self, like, I remember we used to get together um, a bunch of people who are also adopted, and we go spend, like, Chinese New Year's. We'd go to a Chinese restaurant. That was the extent to it, but... (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) But it was still... It's something. It was still really nice, and it's honestly something I wish that I still did today, Mm because it feels almost like I'm 
so used to Canadian culture, it would almost feel like it'd be weird and like I to celebrate Chinese New Year now, which it shouldn't, but it does. Yeah, like I was thinking about like just Googling, like I was like modern Filipino clothing mm-hmm. or whatever. And then I'm like, what? Like, I don't really know what I'm doing. Like, is this traditional for yeah. like going out to school? Is this traditional for a wedding? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you immerse yourself without like doing it wrong? Yeah, without feeling like you're offending yeah. the culture, but yet. But it, you are the but culture. But it is your culture. Like, that's my background. It's that's where I so grew up. so hard. Okay, yeah. I'm just going to add this in too, just from this reading that I had. So it was saying that for some children of immigrants, but I feel like this can also be with you, it's easier at times to switch between what they call ethnic, pan-ethnic, and pan-minority categories. So different for everyone, how often and how much a certain category resonates with you, and it kind of helps you legitimate, like, legitimize, I guess, your membership within the community. And, like, these categories can shift depending on, like, they were saying your institutions, interactions, situations. So it's basically sometimes, like, kids when they're younger apparently but i feel like it's still now like we're still young Mm -hmm. adults but we're kids how you act when you're like with your white friends or how you act like if you were because like i guess we don't necessarily have like our asian community yet yeah so it would be like how you act with them versus how you act with your white friends versus like what if you're around both people or like same with like it's saying institution like i feel like we should kind of talk about we do have a privilege oh yeah that we can speak like really good english Mm -hmm. obviously it's our first language and i feel like sometimes we can i don't know how to explain it (laughs) but we have a privilege that other people wouldn't yeah who might look like you or who might look like me yeah and i think so like in an institution way i guess we might be looked at sometimes Mm -hmm. is more like professional or whatever more approachable yeah which is so unfortunate but at the other time like i see it with my mom like people don't treat her right yeah i guess it's racism like that's (laughs) what it is like that's what i'm trying to like i don't know you can play both sides basically no yeah i totally get what you're saying that's one thing that i think is really unfortunate is i think and i i can admit myself when i was younger I feel like when we looked at international students for people whose first language isn't English, when they struggle to speak English, yes. we almost see them as less intelligent because mm-hmm. they can't formulate their sentences as well as we do. Mm-hmm. But then yet we have to remember this isn't their first language. Yeah. So it's uh, it's so frustrating just to hear how people are like, oh, these like immigrants, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're saying. But it's they're trying to translate their own language to our language in order to communicate with us yeah like i feel like a lot of i was telling molly about this but like if i'm in and i've been like trained to do this since i was young Mm -hmm. like if i'm at the at a cashier normally it's at a cashier i don't know why retail they can just like shove a sock in it anyway (laughs) they will like my mom will be paying and they'll say something or my mom will make a joke and they don't understand what she's saying and then they just look at me because they know i'm like yeah can speak better english or whatever and then like i'm like well she's here too like Mm -hmm. don't just talk to me but then after years and years of people doing that i like step in for my mom and i'm like i shouldn't have to do that like you shouldn't just have to talk to me because it's easier yeah exactly because like same like with the international students like i feel like a lot of people don't become friends with them like mostly at our Mm -hmm. high school majority white high school because it was harder to communicate yeah but like 
after having like international students live with my family and then Molly meeting them, like that's not different at all. You oh, just no. put in the effort, you try to like you can help them with their English. They teach you stuff in return. Mm-hmm. Honestly, international students are probably some of the nicest people ever mm-hmm. because they just want to make friends. Like they're coming to a country where they don't know anyone. They just want to make friends. They they are like 13 sometimes. Yeah. They left their moms, their dads, their families, their country. Like it is culture shock. Mm-hmm. You have a lot to learn. Yeah, and like they especially not knowing the language too. That's such a big barrier to making relationships. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's great that like I don't I didn't interact with too many international students until Ruth started having them at her house, but they're some of like the nicest people I've ever met. I think it's just a it's a really I don't know. Take advantage of your international programs. Go on exchange yourself. 100%. Like, meet new people. Like, be open to meeting other people and learning about their cultures. Yeah, I think it's so fascinating when you hear what it's like in their countries. And Mm -hmm. when they ask us questions even about Canada, it's really cool. Yeah. Although, like, the people who have stayed with me, like, lovely people, stay mm-hmm. end up staying. They're going to university here, too. Like, we still contact them. Molly and I reach out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice, like, even though they might not be Filipino or whatever, like, you're still learning so much. And even yeah. when we did have international students from China, like, they that was asked really you cool. questions. And, like, you asked them, too. And they were like, what part of China are you from? That was really interesting when they could tell me more, like, about where I yeah. was from. Because I was so young when I went and visited China. Like, it was such a big culture shock that everything was, like, uh, just, like, all went over my head. So it's really interesting That's true. when we were asking the international student from China about, like, where I was from and where my sisters were from, just to hear what the area was like. I think, yeah, it was just a nice way to hear like their perspective of their Mm -hmm. own country living there and then like it's still being your country and you like still having a lot to learn Mm -hmm. and it's really cool because I feel like when you start to make that kind of connection you kind of relate to them on a certain level as well Mm -hmm. because they are Asian and they were like in Canada and it's really cool yeah they're Asian in Canada living amongst being in high school too yeah with just a bunch of white people yeah like I feel like I can relate to them on a certain level that's fair which is really it's really cool mm-hmm. so um oh I forgot to mention we were gonna talk about like with cultural loss and stuff we were talking about um like you even donating blood and stuff oh Did you yeah wanna talk about that oh like how okay whenever I try to do anything like through government or something like that like I was donating blood and every time I donate blood I always have a problem because they quite they have a lot of like in-depth questions of course um but one of them is usually about like your parents and where your parents are from and I I can't really answer them honestly because genuinely I don't know Mm -hmm, like medical background yeah like I can assume that they were born in China but like like ever really 100% no like no mm-hmm. so they just started to tell me to say oh <laughs> what to check the marks as <laughs> but I had the same problem when I was um doing like the bone marrow donation yeah as well I find like do you 
um, ever, like, worry about your health because you don't know your biological oh, background. Oh, 100%. My sisters and I have had this conversation multiple mm-hmm. times because we've talked about doing those tests, like, the 23 23andMe. Me. I want to do that, too. Because I'm honestly, it is a worry for me. Like, I'm worried that either I have a gene or I could pass it on to future children if I had them, mm-hmm. a gene that maybe have skipped me. So it is, it is kind of a worry, but then also I heard that those tests, like, is open to the public like the information yeah i heard that too that's like, why my the government sister- can use the 23andme dna test yeah that's why my why older sister doesn't want to do it so it's really interesting my mom did one but it wasn't 23andme it was through national geographic so it was more oh. about like tracing like your ancestry like prehistorically oh, i don't really know how like it's cool. talked about like um i don't know what the proper term is like cavemen times mm-hmm. viking yeah yeah and so it like showed her ancestry of like what islands she would have been from or like her ancestors would have been from but also part of it is like you need the male gene or something to find the whole oh. mapping and we just have my mom's side so we would need like her brothers oh, or stuff but it was still interesting to see like where we technically came from and then there was like some portuguese chinese stuff going on and i was like what it, what am uh, i that's oh, okay that's also something i want to do because like, I, I don't wanna, know i want to figure out if i'm more than just like chinese if there's yeah. like percentages that are like korean or like mm-hmm. thailand or something like that i feel like that'd be really cool because like we have like from my mom's memory is an understanding of they're also being like spanish heavily influenced in our family but Mm -hmm. not knowing exactly where from like my middle name is Andrade and it's Spanish Mm -hmm. and that was like her last name yeah and so we're assuming it's like her father's side but Mm -hmm. like it's really interesting gaining information from a parent (laughs) but from a parent's memories perspective yeah because that'd be hard for like the viewers like my mom's parents passed away to really when my mother was really young Mm -hmm. and my mom was the oldest of her siblings so she was six when they passed away so like a lot of the names she has of people are like first and last names but like no middle name (laughs) no like for sure place where they actually lived Mm -hmm. so like it's like really I don't know there's like not a lot there's information but it's very scattered and not solidified so I feel like the DNA thing would be really interesting to do yeah because that's also a question a very common question I get too is like would I ever want to find my biological parents yeah which is like it's a valid question but then also do you do you know the population in China yeah where would I even start if I wanted to growing up you seemed really content not knowing oh yeah 100 percent I felt like Part of me, too, felt like it was almost offensive in a way to my own parents now to be like, Mm, oh, I want to find, like, my biological parents. But also, I feel like there's such a big disconnect because even if I did find my biological parents, like, we wouldn't even speak the same language. Mm. We don't, we didn't grow up with the same culture. Yeah. And it's like, where do you start? Literally where? Like, Like, you know the orphanage you were at. Mm -hmm. But I mean, yeah, you, I guess there's not really even a guarantee they're from the same area. Yeah. Which would be really interesting. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't even know anything. Like, when people talk about 
their like births and like they'll be like oh yeah like my mom said i was a really hard pregnancy or oh, she was oh, in yeah. labor for that like i don't know like people talk <laughs> about the time they were born to talk about like how long the labor was if it was painful like i don't know any of that information yeah like whoa we're just gonna find out when it's my turn yeah exactly <laughs> like oh my i remember my mom coming in one day and being like oh um no not my mom my dad he was like just like when you have a kid just look at their ears. <laughs> and I went, why? And he was like, um, your mother mentioned, like, a long time ago something about, like, eardrums, like, not fully developing in her family. And I went, excuse me? Like, why didn't I know this sooner? Wow. And I was just like, okay, whatever. Yeah, because, like, you were, was it breach? No. I was breached. She was breached, yeah. So like, I was I don't- beat first i came out running and then i got stuck and then it was a c-section so yeah see like i don't have any of those stories because mm-hmm. i don't know how it went oh obviously i got out <laughs> okay so you kind of talked about this a little bit do we want to talk about growing up in rural nova scotia <laughs> and the diversity the maritimes in general <laughs> yeah the diverse or lack thereof of diversity in our high school or middle school growing up yes okay 100 <laughs> percent. i just also want to start off by saying like molly and i met in grade two and then we met our friend adira and like for some reason we were like the most diverse <laughs> friend group at that school and i was half adira was half and molly was full yeah it was just so interesting anyway so yeah our school is predominantly white mm-hmm. i feel like handful of asians here of and there sorts me and my sisters um, like the african-american community black community was like a little bit but like same not a lot of people i think there was like one yeah in our grade yeah like in elementary probably one and then high school even maybe like i don't know like 10 Mm -hmm. but still like that's not a lot like i talked to my friends that i met in university well in university in general so many more people from different diversities but oh yeah like i talked to my friends who went to schools in ontario and they were like it's not abnormal to have a diverse school and i was like what yeah that's a thing like growing up here in nova scotia just everyone is white yeah wish we have white friends i'm not saying we can't have white friends oh my gosh no the lack of representation was very real yeah and i also think that's maybe like even part of the reason we didn't really talk about it too oh yeah because i don't think it ever came up yeah like we didn't we were like oh our friends are white whatever Mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter especially like the three of us i don't think we ever really sat down and like talked about those kind of things yeah i agree um i'm just gonna add this thing it says the majority of children under the age of 15 74 percent were from an asian country of ancestry and an american country of ancestry include excluding the united states or an african country of ancestry so this population was 68.4 percent for individuals between the ages of 15 and 34 and that's going back to um just, like, diversity in Canada mm-hmm. for, like, children. So, like, growing up in our school, I wouldn't even say it was that. No. <laughs> like, like no. I don't, like, under the age of 15, there were, like, none of us. It's just, like, our experiences, if you want to touch on any of them. Many. Yeah. We have many. Um, do you want to start with the family tree? No! <laughs> <laughs> what a story. Okay, so, um, we're in French immersion, um, and so in grade nine, we did a project for social studies class, a science humaine in French. Science humaine. Yeah, and one of them was to track the genetic traces in your family, so we had to do two. I don't know if you guys know where this is going, but anyway, so... 
because we were doing that and it's through jeans, I asked my teacher, I was like, like, do I still put myself on my family tree? And yeah. she was like, because I'm adopted. And she was like, no, you wouldn't. So <laughs> I had to make a whole family tree and I was not allowed to be on it. And the craziest thing is that she's also adopted. Yeah. And yet she still told me I couldn't She was put like, myself. I get it. And yeah. then Molly was like, well, why can't I put myself on my own family tree? Like, I'm yeah. a part of this family. You literally put, like, re- like relationships. Like, if people get married, you like put in- them on. Like, in-laws. Yeah, you put in-laws, and in you put, if, even if they got divorced. Yeah, I couldn't be put on my family tree, even though I've been a part of my family <sighs> for how many years? I feel like you, that was one of the times where you were, like, someone else told you you were yeah Other. yeah not a part of my family and like, you're like not ex- truly you're like i'm fully confident like living with yeah. my adopted siblings and my white parents and then this lady comes along and is like actually yeah because you're like, not the same that's the funny thing too is like i feel like media always perpetuates this whole thing about adoption as being like the worst thing you could find out is that you're adopted or something yeah it's at the end of the world yeah and like the big thing is like oh when do you tell your kids that you're adopted mm. i feel like i i always knew like, I can't yeah, think of a time true. that I didn't know I was, like, adopted. It was never hidden. Yeah, like, it was always very transparent, like, mm-hmm. that they got me from China, and then, like, when they went to get my little sister from China, I think I was, I don't know how old I was, like, maybe five or something. Was that a conversation you guys had, or you, you like, you were five, so you were like, oh, this is just happening? I, like, barely remember it, honestly. Okay, I fair. just remember being dropped off at my, like, relative's house, and then mm-hmm. they went, and they come back with this little Asian girl. <laughs> So, I mean, okay, this is kind of a good point. Like, the other Asians at our school were Molly's siblings. Yeah. So, like, we have also become close, I feel like, recently. Because yeah. we've been having conversations with Molly's younger sister. Oh, yeah, 100%. And her older sister. I, I don't talk to Sarah as much, which mm-hmm. is Molly's older sister, but Molly has. And then the other Filipinos in my high school were my cousins, mm-hmm. which is funny enough, they're not actually related to me on my Filipino side. Yeah. Like, my dad's brother married a Filipina lady. And so, like, even through them... <laughs> it runs in the family. I don't, yeah, it does run in the family. But even through them, like, I don't really know a lot about the Philippines, other mm-hmm. than that they've been. Uh. And so, like, I didn't really learn a lot from them either. Yeah. So anyway, going back to the school... I would, yeah, I wouldn't say there's very many. I remember, too, um, we did the survey in Canadian history class. Oh, yes. What grade was that? It felt like the survey of shame, honestly. (laughs) Do you want to explain it? Okay, so it was basically the survey that you had to fill out these questions, and based on your score, you were put in a lineup. (laughs) So, like, our, so, uh, no, Canadian studies? Yeah. You said class? we all had to line up based on our score and the questions were things like it was basically about like how like privileged and representation it would be like do you see your people like you in commercials or like when you go for an interview do you worry that they're gonna look at your name and like discriminate against you based off of it yeah stuff like that so i was telling molly (laughs) okay so we already know molly was pretty low on the scale because oh, everyone oh, yeah. else in our class is basically white, except for our other friend, Adira. And so, me being Ruth, being naive, not really understanding, you know, identity <laughs> crisis, I was like, oh, like, I'm white, but I'm also Filipino, but like, I'm white. So, like, I'm gonna bring up this definition, okay? Whitewashed. Also, this definition is a little controversial. Anyway, it says to try to hide unpleasant facts about somebody slash something to try to make something slash someone seem better than it is. 
Isn't that a really weird definition for whitewash? I did whitewash? not know that was a definition. Yeah, that's the Oxford Dictionary. To wow. hide something. Anyway, I think subconsciously I was hiding the Filipino side of myself <laughs> with this survey. Because I remember the question was, are you represented on, like, Christmas cards? Mm-hmm. And I was so confused. <laughs> Me, mixed, like, Asian-Canadian girl in this class, I was, like, so confused. I was like, so white people are represented. <laughs> okay. Um, Filipino people aren't, but white people are, and I'm half white, so yes. <laughs> Looking back, that is not how no. I should have answered that question. It should have been, are there mixed race, like, Asian Canadians mm-hmm. on Christmas cards, apparently, like, Hallmark at the store? Yeah. The answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> but I, like, feel like I was so conflicted. I would, like, I saw my identity as... I use white when I should. Yeah. And I'll use Filipino when I should. Yeah. Which was rarely. Yeah. Whereas because like we were I'm, a white school. Whereas I was like, I'm Chinese, I don't see anyone here. Yeah. Chinese. Molly was at the bottom. Yeah, they okay. Our teacher made us line up from who had the height. Because I think it was like if you were scored like yes, you got points, and if no, like you yeah, didn't. Yeah. And so it was whoever had the highest points stood at like this side and who had the lowest stood on the other side. Mm-hmm. I was I was at the end our teacher because she was also colored yeah she she was like it's okay like I scored lower too when she did it which like honestly it did make me feel a little bit better and like I remember looking back I was so I felt so bad and insecure I was like why did I come Mm -hmm. to school this day but I think it was really it was really good looking back on it I think it was I'm really glad she did it because I think it was more well I mean in that moment I guess it was educational for me to realize like hey you're not just white but also at the same time it was educational being like the other people in the classes like learned Mm -hmm. their privilege yeah I think so and like I maybe felt a little guilty about it but it was like this needs to be known and I feel like other teachers wouldn't have done it Mm -hmm. and of course it was a teacher of color yeah and she also told us which I thought was really interesting is apparently they did a survey at our school a few years previously asking about racism in the school and apparently when they sent around the survey around 90 some said that they didn't think that there was any racism in the school but Mm -hmm. then the small percentages that did were the only population of our school that was of color Mm -hmm. which i thought was really interesting when she told us that so it looks like our high school had no like not a lot of racism yeah but in reality in reality it was it was yeah i also remember in us doing a survey for that same teacher and it was for our social class. Uh. And for a survey to be, like, accurate, I don't know the terms, mm-hmm. but for a survey to be accurate, like, before putting it out to the public, you should test it amongst, what am I trying to say? <laughs> Genders? Sorry. Yeah. You just need a diverse, like, um, yeah. group so, of like, people. So, like, gender, age, ethnicity. Yeah. And because our class is majority <laughs> white, myself, and I think Adira was in the class, mm-hmm. um, and my partner currently all had to do the survey because we were the ethnic part of the test. Yeah, they were the diverse part. And that was one of the moments where I was like, oh, we're different. Yeah. We're quite different, actually, yeah. from everyone else around us. I remember, too, um, I did global geography, and I remember my teacher put on this hour-long documentary on the one-child policy in China. And when he didn't like tell us at all he didn't i part of me wishes he maybe had given me a warning that he was gonna do this but i don't think he even thought about yeah. it yeah because just the way like it was being portrayed and the way that he talked about it it felt like it was like i don't know it felt like 
oh, this is, like, something you learn in class, but you don't actually see, whereas, like, I was watching it, and I was, like, that's, like, my life. Like, like, that was... I'm living this. Like, the yeah, like, that's what happened to me, and he was talking about, like, the parents and stuff. Honestly, I'm gonna be real with you guys. I fell asleep <laughs> during this class. <laughs> Because I just didn't care. Well, he was, te- he probably was teaching it in a way that people were supposed to take notes on it. Yeah. And you're like, I live this. Yeah, like, I just wish that if he had even, if he was like, oh, like, Molly, did you want to talk about it or anything like that? Or yeah. like, oh, just letting you know I'm going to, because it felt like it was more of like something people were just going to study and like not even think about. Yeah. And you're like, I'm literally a source. Yeah. Or at least confide in me. I don't know. At least give me some sort of trigger warning that you're going to talk about this. Mm. I don't know. It's just weird because I feel like whenever people were talking about, like, Chinese culture, sometimes it was seen really negatively. Because, like, what is going to interest a bunch of kids? Hearing, like, the crazy things, or at least things that they saw as crazy because they're, like, Mm. eight years old. Abnormal, supposedly. Yeah. Like, I remember in elementary school, I think they showed us how, like, like, they eat their dietary is like different than ours because mm. they eat certain animals and i remember like all the kids thinking it was so weird and i remember feeling so embarrassed because i was like that's my culture oh my god yeah i don't do that i remember like bringing fish to <laughs> and people being like what is that yeah and i was like it's delicious yeah i knew molly was a true friend i don't know if you remember this but you asked me if you could try it Really? Yeah, you. it was, like, smoked fish on rice with something oh. or whatever. And people were like, ew. Like, wh- of course. Pe- like, yeah. kids are going to be like, that's gross. That's yeah. not what we eat. We eat mac and cheese. <laughs> anyway, and I remember specifically, you were like, oh, my gosh, that looks good. Can I try it? Mm. And I was like, this girl's my best friend. I probably thought it did look good. Though, oh, my God, you're so nice, though. <laughs> I love her mom's cooking. <laughs> Okay, so we wanted to get into, like, media representation because there is none. Just kidding. <laughs> I feel like that, especially, like, thinking of, like, when we grew up uh, to today. Yeah. Like, there was not very much representation at all when we were younger. Like, I'm pretty sure the only person I could think of was, like, London Tipton from <gasps> The Seat Life of Zack and Cody. that. And she was, like... They, I remember specifically for that show, they said they didn't want her to be the smart character. Yeah. So they made her the ditz. Yeah. The ditz. Great. Perfect. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think I remember any other not Asian one, representation. Not one that was like a main character. Oh, no, Like, never. she's like the only main character in a TV show that I can think of. Mm-hmm. But even then, it was Sweet Life with Zach and Cody. Yeah. She was like a part of the ensemble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... The first time I, like, had an epiphany was watching Crazy Rich Asians. <laughs> Anyone who hasn't seen that movie, see it. Please. I know, and I talk to people who are like, it's not good. And I'm like, but you don't get it. No. I think it's, like, how Black Panther was for the black community. Mm-hmm. It was just this overwhelming feeling of, like representation and joy yeah like i was so happy like is this what is this what other people have felt for years for years like because yeah like like, when i watched it i it was like the first time i was like wow i like i was actually like so proud to be a part of that i got emotional same okay the i'm just gonna sorry interject (laughs) for a second like the definition of representation is the act of presenting somebody slash something in a particular way something that shows or describes something And, like, we never had Asian representation. I think for me, it was, like, a moment where I was, 
I felt like I was like this is weird like everyone's Asian mm-hmm. I was like this is really weird and then I like had a moment I was like I shouldn't be saying that's weird. yeah I think it's weird because I've been growing up watching TV and movies where everyone's white mm-hmm. and like I was like oh this is this is how other people see it yeah. all the time and so when I was like a whole cast of Asian people I was like that is so cool and then like seeing things like my mom and I like like she won't be like oh I remember this specifically from the Philippines but when we watched it together she was like I've been there mm-hmm. or I've because like part of it's in Singapore yeah the movie and so my mom grew up there a lot and she's like I want to take you there and it just like sparked conversation that wouldn't have been sparked otherwise mm-hmm. or like them playing mahjong like mm-hmm. we play that yeah and so I was like oh my gosh like things from our culture are being represented yeah and talked about yeah because I remember it's like the it's like I think it's halfway through the movie they're like on a cruise ship and there was like actually white people and I was like that's the first time I've seen a white person in this movie and it's so weird because it was so flipped because all the time when I'm watching Mm -hmm. other movies it's like halfway through the movie and there's like one Asian person and you're like okay there there's my representation there's the token asian the token asian exactly speaking of tokenism (laughs) so tokenism is the fact of doing something to do what the law requires or to satisfy a particular group of people but not in the way that is really sincere Mm -hmm. so a token asian is basically the character in the movie who's an asian to like place be placed in there for a little bit of diversity but like i find like they're always the smart character. Yeah. Or, or they're like the nerd. Or like the weird character, the weird international student. Like the girl who's like awkward in school. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. I'm her. Like you know, there's when you're a little kid, you're like, oh, I wanna be which one am I? Like out of like cartoon characters or whatever. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well we never had that. I was Oh just my goodness. Picked... But Nikki off of sixteen. Oh, true. She's the only Asian Canadian, too. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. Yeah. I'm over here thinking, like, oh, the Powerpuff Girl is the one with the black hair. That's me. No, she's still white. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I wish that I grew up with, like, Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah, me too. Like, I feel like if I had grown up with that movie, I would have had a lot more confidence growing up. Yeah. Because it's actually so nice to see. They look like me. They look yeah. like you. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, And it's like. It's so sad, but it's basically having a movie like that is society, like, basically accepting Asians and saying, oh, we think that they're, like, beautiful enough and we think that they're, like, mm-hmm. talented enough to put on screen, which is really sad because we shouldn't need the approval. I don't know. I think it was just a huge moment. Yeah, because I think it was, I don't, I don't know specifically how many years, but I think Me it was, either. like, 15 years or something since there was an all-Asian cast. Yeah. Which is crazy because I feel like people talk about other ethnicities but they don't really talk about asians as much at least before like it's starting to come up now with yeah i agree to all the boys i loved before i know the Mm -hmm. main character was also korean new christmas series dash and lily the main one of the the main character lily she's also asian which was like really cool and like her family and like meeting like seeing traditions on screen is really different yeah it's like validating them it's not Mm -hmm. they're not weird anymore yeah if that makes sense it's like normalizing mm-hmm. normalization the act of making something fit a normal pattern or condition the fact of starting to fit a normal pattern or condition is like i don't know like the normal pattern is not being asian yeah. so like it's becoming the representation that we need mm-hmm. like it's cool to actually be seen not as just the punchline 
Yeah. Because I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of Asian um, characters that are used just like for comic relief. Mm-hmm. Whereas like it was nice to actually be taken seriously and to actually want to talk about like the story of someone who's either of immigrant like parents. Mm-hmm. And they like they also addressed like being good enough to marry and like stuff like that mm-hmm. that like is still going on. Yeah. And I think that was really important. Um, there was another show you mentioned, the Fresh Off the Boat show. <laughs> yeah. Like the term fresh off the boat, I haven't heard, but you brought it up. So I was like, Oh, yeah. I haven't heard that. I've heard fresh off the boat as in like this girl I know was like, <laughs> I just got my my car fresh off the boat. Oh. But no. not in terms of like an immigrant. So I'll actually read the actual defi- definition. It says, usually used to describe an immigrant who has not yet grasped the customs, the language, or culture of a country they're immigrating to. Yeah. <laughs> so it's an ac- actual show, and I, I didn't know that. Yeah, I found this show, I don't even know what network it's from, but it's an all-Asian family, mm-hmm. basically. And I think that they're from, I think the parents are immigrants, and then they were in a Chinatown. Um, Interesting. And then they move to a, like a rural like place in America where everyone's like there's no diversity there. Mm. And it's basically just their struggles of trying to assimilate, like you said. Basically, um, I didn't know that was the term. Like that's what it meant. Assimilating? <laughs> no, fresh off the boat. Oh, oh, okay. I was gonna, I was gonna say I can define assimilation too if you'd like. <laughs> you can go ahead. Okay, assimilation is like the process of becoming or allowing someone. I don't like the word allow. Yeah. Like allowing someone to become a part of a country or a community. Mm-hmm. Basically, the white community. I'm assuming that they were moving into mm-hmm. was allowing them to be there. Yeah, like I just thought it was so in- because that's like the first like family show that mm-hmm. I was like, like they all Asian. Yeah, like it. And it's like a it had multiple seasons the woman who stars in it like the actress she's also the same star in crazy rich asians oh i didn't know that mm-hmm. they're saying the first time in 20 or so years an asian american family will be the focus of a show on network mm-hmm. television that's a big deal and it's crazy because like i grew up with canadian parents but even some of the things that they were talking about i feel like i could in a small way like relate to it mm-hmm. too Do you find there's, like, this is a side question, but do you find it, like, hard to explain to your parents sometimes, like, what you experience? Or do you not have that conversation? Sometimes we talk about it, but then I feel like there's only a certain amount that they can, like, they can sympathize and stuff. And, like, obviously when we were younger, if kids said things to me, which they have Mm. before, like, my parents went to the principal. Did you know it was wrong? No. <laughs> or did they tell you it was wrong? That's, that's like, what I find yeah. really interesting. Yeah, I guess I'll talk about it now. When I was, I don't know how old I was. I think it was grade four or five or something like that. This girl, like, she basically made fun of my eyes. Like, she asked why they were, like, mm. so small and, like, did the motion. But, and I remember going home and telling my mom, but I didn't, like, understand what yeah. it meant like I was just like oh like this girl asked me why my eyes were like this and then and then d- did it basically yeah. and then my mom went to the principal and then the principal talked to me and talked to the other girl it was it was a thing your like, first time with racism yeah and I basically. didn't even know I didn't even know that that's what she was doing it's really interesting I find with children they're like they're very blunt and it's like did you learn that from somebody or mm-hmm. like you're quite impressionable or is that just literally what like yeah. genuine question like why don't you look like me yeah and it's like oh okay mm-hmm. and like ingrained. when you're a young insecure girl in school and someone's yeah. pointing out why you're different from them 
What a good feeling. And it's so interesting now because I feel like, I don't know about you, but I feel like as I got older, I was like, became more confident in those features. Mm -hmm. Because I was like, this now represents who I want to be because I feel like we're coming into wanting to be like, we are Asian representation. Like, we are here to talk about it, you know? No, yeah, I think it's great. I'm starting to really appreciate being from another country and like coming here and... It's like asian pride within Mm -hmm. the canadian pride yeah type of thing i don't know how much canadian pride we have exactly (laughs) i think it's something a lot of people are learning like to do together relearning how to be prideful of like where yeah you would be born and where you live Mm -hmm. and like where my ancestry is from and where i live Mm -hmm. like i think the the less like i felt insecure about being different and the more that I actually started to like understand it and appreciate it is the more that I'm like starting to love like the fact that I'm different recently or not recently I don't know have you like started to like emerge yourself back into your Chinese culture like in any way Uh, or is it something you want to do it's something that I want to do it's like a little hard because it's like it like I said earlier it does feel like it's almost I don't want to say too late, but it's a little hard, you know? Mm-hmm. Without feeling like you're appropriating the culture. Yeah. In a way. Appropriation. The act of taking something that belongs to somebody else, especially without permission. Mm-hmm. But it's weird because, like, we're not... It's like saying it's from somebody else, but it's who we are. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, I would love to actually, like, celebrate, like, um, Chinese New Year's and stuff, but I don't think I could, it's something that I feel like I'd want to find a community and try to, like, immerse Mm -hmm. myself within there, but then also it's a feeling of, are they, like, immigrant children who grew up as their parents, like, also celebrated it, and so they have all these traditions, and am I feeling like I'm just kind of, like, this outsider that doesn't really know anything? Mm. It's, like, your own journey. I remember talking to someone and messaging them on Instagram from our high school who was, ended up being Filipino, and I didn't know her because she moved later, Mm -hmm. and I remember reaching out and being like, if I have any questions, can I come to you? And she said, yeah, and I never asked her Mm. because it was, like, okay, it's an outlet, but, like, what do I say? What don't I say? Yeah. Because you're so on the outside. Yeah, like, there's, okay, I joined, because there's, um, a family friend I have, and she's also adopted, and she's a friend that I had when I was still in, like, New Brunswick, um, and we talked today, and she added me to this group, it's called Mandarin Imports. Okay. And it's, like, adopted kids, um, in the Halifax area, so it's close oh, to us. Oh, interesting. But, and they have these groups, like, called, like, uh, video groups but i haven't joined one of them you should do that i know i feel like i should i'm so intimidated but i want to i mean i feel like a lot of people would feel the same way as you Mm -hmm. because like i just recently like recently like last month or whatever i found this website and it's called what's it called cambio and co and so they started out as like she was like a woman living in toronto with her husband and she like didn't know a lot about her filipino heritage but she wanted to incorporate it somehow so the Mm -hmm. way she did it was through fashion so she started a business where like she had um people like who make jewelry traditionally or clothing in the philippines and like set up this thing where like people can basically kind of do commissions i don't know if commission is the right word but like order these things from the Philippines and, like, have a part of the Philippines with them and stuff, Mm -hmm. and I found it really interesting, so I was, like, looking into it, and I was, like, oh, maybe that's how I can start to emerge myself, is, like, with the fair earrings, which Mm -hmm. sounds weird, but, like, whatever, Mm -hmm. and so I didn't really do that, and then I looked into it further, and they have, like, a whole 
kind of like a Zoom conference. And they oh. upload videos, and the videos are specifically about, like, reconnecting mm-hmm. in Canada because it's a Toronto-based company. Yeah. Or there was a video on reconnection, artistry, self-love, identity. And, like, hearing other people's experiences makes you feel more validated. Yeah. And just, like, even though I'm not talking with them specifically, but, like, still... Mm-hmm. hearing it was really nice and I feel like you definitely can find videos like that too but it would yeah. also be nice to have like a community here mm-hmm. I don't know maybe we should start it <laughs> where do we begin <laughs> I don't even know yeah like that's the thing is I feel like for years I've been like kind of like waiting around for there to mm-hmm. be someone to come up but then it's like why can't I just be that person in a way you know like why don't yeah. I just like why can't I just share my story and then maybe other people relate to that I think like in my head it's always like I don't know how to answer other people's questions yeah. but I think it's like I don't need to I think that's the whole point is like people have questions and they can't be answered and like maybe by us telling our situations and our stories mm-hmm. like someone out there will be like I feel just like these girls yeah and that's okay, I guess. Like, mm-hmm. maybe I can help, and maybe I can't. Like, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Okay, so to end off our podcast, because I am a fine arts student, I did want to, like, show a little bit more representation in the community, I guess, if with artists who kind of talk about identity in their work, because my work has a lot to do with that. Mm-hmm. So, like, the first artist I have is Florence Ye, or Yi. I may be saying it incorrectly, I'm not too sure, but this is an artist that I found, and I was like, this is the work I want to make. Like, she is a Toronto, Toronto-based artist, she's, like, Canadian and Cantonese. So she says, um, so Florence is a Cantonese struggling visual artist based in Toronto, <laughs> so she's very, like, honest about that, whose work, pract- uh, whose practice focuses on the intimacy of doubt. Um, it uses text-based art, sculpture, textile, installation to question, like, literally, like, ass- assimilation in mm-hmm. Canada and, like, society yeah. by holding space um, by holding space for personal and intergenerational failure. So she's, like, talking oh. about this conversation of, like, where you stand, I guess, as an Asian Canadian and, like, the her experiences that come along with it. So I thought That's that was interesting. really interesting. Yeah. Um, and so, um, her, she talks a lot about in her practice about her experience as a Cantonese Canadian artist. She talks about the importance of language and text in her work. So she uses both languages, but she also grew up only speaking predominantly English. Mm-hmm. So like, I feel like we can also relate to oh, that. Oh yeah, we, we speak English and French. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're so, we're really the Maritimes over here. Um, so she always talks about like, she becomes her own word processor because she likes to do a lot of stuff by hand with text because it's more intimate and, like, comes from her. And she explains, like, she uses embroidery, like, as a material um, to show, like, intimacy. Mm -hmm. Like, because it's something that's really important to her and a conversation that's really important to her. So she's, like, talks about, like, navigating space mentally and physically. So she does, like, a lot of installation work and how she can, like, depict this internalization and, like, all of these feelings around Mm -hmm. being Asian-Canadian. And yeah, she's just, like, really there for the immigrant community, I guess, but Mm -hmm. more so, like, the Asian community in general. Anyway, so Frida was born in 1907, but she is, like, a badass woman, (laughs) and she changed her birth certificate to 1910 
instead of 1907 because she wanted a connection to the Mexican Revolution. Oh. And it started in 1910. Wow. So she was like, I'm actually connected to this. And, like, she's so passionate about it. Mm -hmm. So the Mexican Revolution was from 1910 to 1920. The revolution itself affected the government and culture. And so growing up, Calo, like, she never had good health. I don't know how, like, known that is. Um, and she was in, like, a horrific accident at 18. So, oh, a, like, sidecar hit a bus. She was in the bus. And she had, like, really terrible injuries. Like, broken femurs, broken everything, collapsed lung. And then, like, her worst was, like, a spinal cord, in- like, a spine injury mm-hmm. and a pelvic injury. And, like, there was a lot more going on. Wow. So, anyway. So, she began painting and drawing in, like, her hospital beds. And, like, that's how a lot of her work was done. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, like, it was done over her recovery and then also throughout being bedridden from multiple surgeries after years and years because her health was just deteriorating. And so, anyway, so in 1929, she married her husband, Diego Rivera, who is also a famous painter. Mm -hmm. And throughout her life, she matched pain and suffering with her work. So, like, her life story basically is painted through her work and, like, she represents um, divorce with her husband. Oh. Um, there was, like, infidelity, health problems, her miscarriages, like, multiple. Like, oh. there's paintings about them. Um, her depression, basically. And she was, like, really open about it, which is, like, something people didn't really do. Yeah. But a lot of her work reflected her life, like, Henry Ford Hospital in 1932 and Two Fridas in 1939. And, like, over the course of the time, I think there were, like, 55 self-portraits painted. Wow. And, like, all of them are similar yet different because they depict different times in her life. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, she was, like, expressing her life, basically, through symbolism, which I thought was really cool. That was really cool. What else did she have? She was, uh, oh, she directly carried, like, feelings of vulnerability and honesty without being so literal about it in her mm-hmm. paintings. I just think she's a badass woman. Yeah. To be honest. (laughs) But, like, her representing her own culture and, like, her being herself and, like, her self-worth, I thought was really interesting. Yeah, that's really inspiring. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the last one is Nick Cave, who is very interesting. I really like him a lot. So, he was born in Fulton, Missouri in 1959. So, he's a performer, a sculptor, and a video artist. All things, like, I'm not great at. Like, maybe sculpture I'm good at, but, like, being a performer in video art is, like, not something I'm great at. Great at. So, they were born out of thinking of, like, his... Like, he's a black artist, and mm-hmm. so the feeling of being disregarded, dismissed, or less than, yeah. like, these things came... Like, these works of art came out of that. So, he made a suit, which he was, like, was, like, becoming your second skin, and it's, like, a suit you can put on. And... Um, he says, like, with the suit, because it makes noise, he says it's, like, you're being loud and ambiguous, like, people don't know who you are, mm-hmm. so, like, being loud reflects, like, protest to him, oh, and, like, makes the viewers think louder about, like, this feeling of being dimiss- dismissed or less than, mm-hmm. and so he has, like, he also has, like, this personal connection to textiles because his aunts were seamstresses and, like, they involve a lot of textiles. He did dance and was, like, a performer and, like, does a lot of movement <laughs> background. And so the viewer can... I don't know. Like, he wanted to mix these two disciplines that he didn't think would normally go together. Yeah. Which I thought was really cool. And so he says that, like, these suits disguise, like, the actual person who's inside. Mm-hmm. And then... So it hides the body. It hides gender. It hides... 
class, race, like, basically everything about the performer. Yeah. And so, like, the reason he did this is, like, people can approach the work with no judgment of any of those categories. Mm -hmm. Which I was like, yes. Yeah. That's what I want life to be, basically. (laughs) To him, it was really important to collect different objects. So he has many, many of these suits made from random objects. Wow. But, so, like, ceramic birds... It's like one of them, figurines, doilies, toys, noisemakers, buttons. Like, they're made of, like, so many different things. So to him, like, the object is the beginning um, of using a form or essential core to the suit. Mm -hmm. And then the impulse of buying or getting the object is important. But most importantly, it is the object. um, He, like, looks at an object and it looks like someone else's trash, basically. And he goes, mm-hmm. it has further potential. Yeah. So it's, like, kind of talking about, like, that conceptual part about being, yeah. like, something that would be disregarded. But he's, like, it has so much potential. There's so much more going on behind this. So that's why he likes that. Mm-hmm. So an object or material found or disregarded is normally used for a new purpose. And finding potential in it and repurs- repurposing or rebuilding it to have a new function. So anyway, in the end... Cave wants the viewer to leave with a different type of consciousness and wants the viewer to look at what they are surrounded by in a different way. Mm -hmm. And, like, looking at something that is unfamiliar to, like, you maybe, but then, like, looking at it without barriers. Yeah. Which is, I think, how, like, we should look at race. Yeah. Um, And, like, without barriers and without judgment and, like, being open to new perspectives of other. So, like, he's talking about this artwork in the suit, but I mm-hmm. think he's talking about a lot more. Yeah. So anyway, those were the artists that I had. <laughs> that was kind of a blurb, but I, like, thought it was really important to add, like, a few people a part of the art world who, like, have a lot to do, have a lot to do with identity, because, like, yeah. we've been talking about identity a lot today. Yeah, for sure. Um, thank you guys for listening to Molly yeah, and thank I. thank you so much. You got to know a lot about our lives. <laughs> um, but I think a good amount, and I think maybe things that you guys can relate to. Yeah. And just overall, like, getting to know us, and I want to get to know other people, like, so, mm-hmm. that type of thing. So, thank you for listening. Yeah, Have a good you. evening, morning, cup of coffee, whatever you're, however you're stay listening. Stay safe, everyone. Yes, please stay safe. Thank you. Bye! Bye. Just popping in now to say thank you for our intro and outro music. It is titled Still, um, and it can be found at ikesandmusic.com. Once again, www.ikesandmusic.com.